Second Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth. And wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And that is God's word for us tonight. And we trust indeed that God will speak to us through his word. As he has promised to do. We look for him to do that. Timothy was gifted to preach God's word. We know that quite clearly. There was a gift that he had. That gift had brought problems for him. His natural timidity, it would seem, had held him back somewhat. And his uh, youthfulness, compared to some, uh, was, was seemed to be a problem by him. And the difficulties and opposition he had faced had been discouraging. But tonight, again, we see the priority of God's word and Paul urging Timothy to preach the word of God. And there's a phrase, isn't there, that you might have heard sometimes, you know, the good can become the enemy of the best. The good can become the enemy of the best. And there, Timothy, like us, could have been involved in many good things, many good things. But the best thing for Timothy to do, and Paul urges him to do, is in preaching the word. Not to be waylaid with other things which might be good and purposeful, but as we'll see, as we'll conclude tonight, fulfil the ministry that he was given by God and equipped by God to do. And so tonight, we're going to think about the priority of preaching God's word. The priority of preaching God's word. Because God's word is essential for the, well, the salvation of souls. It is able to make us wise under, unto salvation. The preaching of God's word equips us for every good work that God has for us to do. So we'll think about the priority of preaching. But we'll think about the problem that preaching will bring, preaching as God intends it, the problem that that will be encountered in the preaching of his word. And then finally, the perseverance that is required by the preacher of God's word. I guess as we sit here, as you sit here um, tonight, some of you might think, well, Okay, so what is there for me? I'm, I'm not pre- ever going to preach God's word in, in this formal sense, in this sense which I am standing here tonight and have the immense privilege of doing. 
Well, undoubtedly this passage tonight isn't just for Timothy, and we're observers on Timothy, this Paul's letter to Timothy. Undoubtedly this passage tonight has applications for those who will formally preach God's word. Undoubtedly there. But for those who do not preach in this formal sense, it is good for everyone to understand, understand what is expected of those who will preach God's word. And undoubtedly, as well, if I might give a third reason why we should listen to this tonight, is that even if we do not preach God's word in this setting, we will see the importance of preaching God's word. And if we're not involved in preaching, then we should be involved in listening. Because a preacher, hopefully, doesn't just preach to himself, of course. Though he might feel sometimes as he is. But we'll see the importance of listening to the preaching of God's word. But, fourthly, why should we listen to this? Every believer, as we have thought this weekend, we need, you know, had plenty of reminders, is called to communicate the gospel. So there's principles here in preaching God's word as it is, which apply to every single believer. Because all of us, every believer, in, in, in a way, is called to proclaim, to take out the good news about Jesus Christ. And then fifthly, I will say this as well, there are principles that apply for the administration of any gift that God has given to us. So hopefully there's five reasons there why we should listen to this charge about preaching God's word. Now I'm sure none of you had any doubt that you should be listening anyway, but just in case there's the emphasis on why to do that specifically in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So, Let's think about the priority of preaching the word of God that Paul charges Timothy with. He's already spoken about, and you thought about this last week, how all scripture is breathed out by God. This is God's word that we have. It's God's word in the original autographs. We have accurate translations of God's word. And this word can be taught to reproof someone. To stop someone in their tracks of wrong behaviour or wrong thinking. It can be used then for the correction, to show the right track, the right direction to go down, and then the training to enable them to go down the track. So reproof, you might be on the wrong track of thinking or action. Correction, get on the right track. And training, keep going on that track. Reproof, correction and training. So God's word, it is so important for the church, for the assembly of God's people, for the people of God, that we may be, as it says at the end of verse 3, complete, equipped for every good work. In our passage tonight, short as it is, we'll have nine imperatives in this. We're not just going to list them through and go through them like that, but you will see them quite clearly. There's five in verse two, to preach, to be ready, to reprove, to rebuke and exhort. And then as we get to verse five, there's there's four there, be sober, endure suffering, do the work, fulfill your ministry. So the short message uh, that Paul gives to Timothy 
the short charge is packed with commands for him, exhortations. And that is exactly it, isn't it? I charge you. I charge you. This isn't the idea of suggestion or I recommend to you. This is a strong directive of all the apostolic authority that Paul has as he has passed it on this to the younger man, a charge for him to do. A serious and solemn command. And what is that? Well, we see that, don't we, at the start of verse 2. The solemn and serious charge that Paul says to Timothy is to preach the word. To preach the word. God's word. The whole counsel of God. In its entirety, with all its authority, with all its clarity and sufficiency, Timothy, you are to preach it. You are to proclaim that, Timothy. All that Timothy had of God's word, and of course he didn't have all that we have of God's word, but the principle now applies for us. We're to proclaim it in its entirety. Every word that we have is of God and is important. Timothy, you're not to preach your own thoughts. Timothy, you're not up there to, to give your own ideas. You're not there to rant about things in your mind, Timothy. You are to be the messenger. Preachers, you are to be the messenger of God's word. No one's interested in your opinion. I hope. It's God's opinion that is of essential importance to follow. Preach not the world's philosophies. The politics of the day. Engage with them, yes, if, if the word of God speaks upon that issue. Do that, Timothy. But preach the word of God in its entirety and with its authority. Preach it in all its fullness. Don't leave out anything, Timothy, to soften its message. To, to pander to the culture. To pander to your audience. Don't play to the gallery, Timothy. Don't play to the gallery, preachers. But as the word comes, preach it, what is there. Don't do it to gain popularity. No, Timothy, don't do it with a view to be pleasing to those. But as we'll think, do it with a view to be pleasing and honouring to the Lord. Yes, have a care for the people. But Tim, if you have a care and love for God's people, if you have a care and love for people in general, you will preach God's word in all its fullness. You know, David, who's just gone back to Northern Ireland, he, he was sharing with me over breakfast this morning, and I won't go into all the details, but there was um, an incident he'd been be involved in in outreach, and a, a couple had um, you know, come to faith in Christ as, as marvellous, and um, they were exhorted to go to these these meetings. And um, well, they kind of were dressed differently from everyone else, 
and um, man didn't have a tie on you see and the, the brother who was preaching preached how anyone who attended a meeting of the Lord's people though a tie was dishonouring God and disrespectful that is his opinion it's terrible they never went back never went back had been two months saved and due to the dictatorial rantings of a well-known preacher who many of you would know actually they never went back and it wasn't he wasn't preaching the word of God he was preaching his own preferences with no basis out of God's word it's a crime it's an abuse of the pulpit Timothy preaches preach the word of God and that will stand and that will do its work see the idea of preaching is to be a herald it's the idea of old I don't know if Timothy would have sort of had the idea of a town cry I don't think they existed in his day far as I know but I think some of us understand the imagery of a town crier before the days of social media and all sort of news and that and he'd go into the town square he'd ring the bell hear ye, hear ye and he would deliver the message he wouldn't be delivering his own thoughts at all there'd be a message from the ruling authorities probably from the king and he would just deliver the king's message he wouldn't be changing it he wouldn't be adapting it he would just deliver the message that he had been given and the very idea of preach proclaim is, is, is within that illustration to just deliver on to pass on what God has given to you you don't need to amend that you don't need to change that at all yes the language you use must be suitable for and respectful of the audience obviously and the preacher nowadays unlike in Timothy's time has to work hard to uh, interpret um, we don't uh, very few of us uh, can read the original languages we have the culture gap we have the historical gap all to bridge and all that it, we do that to the best of our ability we seek to apply the scriptures we interpret them what does it mean then apply them what does it mean to you or the implications of that appropriate to the audience but behind all of that and undergirding all that and framing all of that is the clear this is God's word preach the word and that is what we see throughout the scriptures isn't it we can go through our old testament God's servant preaching God's word you might remember Ezra stood up on a platform didn't he and he just preached the word of God and made the sense of it John the Baptist did it the Lord Jesus did it the Lord Jesus sent the twelve out to do it Peter preaches at Pentecost. Philip preaches in Samaria. Paul, saved in Damascus, preaches Christ. You know, Peter in Acts 10 says, The Lord Jesus commanded us to preach. You know, preaching is seen to be out of date and out of fashion in many places, and, and it sometimes seems to be out of date and out of fashion in some churches around. But the injunction still stands, the charge gift to Timothy, and the priority for the church, for the people of God, is to listen to the preaching of God and for men to teach that word. And notice the, notice the motivation in the priority of preaching. The motivation in verse 1. In the presence of God 
and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. This charge that Paul brings to Timothy and by implication to each and every person who will preach God's word is this. You will give an account. You will give an account to the Lord Jesus. Your service for him will be reviewed. And this charge is being made in the presence of God. It's a solemn view. The Lord Jesus Christ will judge. The Lord Jesus, all judgment has been handed over to him. John 5.22 reminds us of that. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So in our translations... When we read, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, verse 1 there of chapter 4, it could could be translated like this, in the presence of God, even Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and he will be judging. And he will be the perfect judge of my service and of your service for him. And there will be no hiding. He will know the motives, why I have done what I have done, he will know the diligence why, with what I have done. And I'll be called to give an account. Now, of course, I will not be judged for... My, my sin has been dealt with at the cross. And the sin of every believer has been dealt with at the cross. We understand that. I hope you understand that. But there is a judgment. Second Corinthians 5.10 tells us this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil so there will be rewards given to the people of God by the Lord Jesus Christ for the service that they have rendered to him and that applies to every area of service but tonight we're thinking about the preaching of God's word and so for those who will preach God's word they will be held to account for that. How have they carried out the task that God has given to them? So that's something always to bear in mind. And Paul is bringing that to Timothy. Not to sort of pander to the culture and those around who might put pressure on him to adapt and adopt different ways. But Timothy, look to the longer view. There'll be one who will perfectly judge. And that will be the Lord Jesus Christ. So rewards will be given at the judgment seat of Christ and the public display of these will be in his kingdom when he will reign upon this earth for that thousand year period. So the charge is solemn. But Timothy, when to preach? When should you preach, Timothy? When should the preacher preach? Well, verse 2. Be ready in season and and use every opportunity, Timothy. Not just when it's convenient to preach, okay? But even when it's inconvenient. Not when it's suitable for you, but when it might be sort, seem unsuitable. Not just when you think it will be welcome, but when you even think it might be unwelcome. Bring God's word to bear to the people. And what should be the content then? If I'm to preach, if we're to preach in and out of season at all times, what should be the content? Well, Timothy... Preachers, reprove, rebuke, 
and exhort. Have your preaching with these things. We thought already uh, last week of reproof, correction and training. And reproof and rebukes, well for me, were a little bit difficult to distinguish, but I'll give it a go for you in my mind. Reprove, the idea is to show fault through clear biblical preaching. Reproving exposes thoughts and actions that are not in accord with God's word. So that's for the believer and the unbeliever, that's for all people. Reprove. Rebuke seems to be very closely related to that to me. But it's the idea of bringing conviction of sin. Now as David rightly said, it's a Holy Spirit himself who brings conviction of sin. That's not just for the unbeliever. Of course the unbeliever needs to be convicted of their sin. But so do we. You know, we sung this morning... My sins are many, his mercy is more. Present tense, you know, my sins are many, but his mercy is more. So we, are, we need rebuke. The word of God rebukes and it reproves. And Timothy, be involved in that. Teach the word of God so it does reprove with his faulty thinking, with his faulty actions. Rebuke that. But exhort, show the pathway back. Show the correct pathway. And encourage people to put the wrong things right. To know God's grace and to go forth in faith. Do that at all times. Not just when it's convenient. You know, as I was thinking of this, I was reminded of John Wesley. And uh, many of us remember John Wesley. He was a great evangelist. Uh, but he didn't just preach in season. I've got a little notes from his journals here. Let me share these this with you. Sometimes we have these pictures of these people and they sort of went into churches and they were well received all over the place, you know. And they were just, uh, everyone thought that was brilliant, you know. Well, here we go. John Wesley, 1738. So it's a little time away, okay? Seven, 7th of May, this is the morning service, preached at St. Lawrence's was asked not to come back anymore. So, in the afternoon, preached at St. Catherine's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Okay, so that was, the, that was the Sunday. So next week, May the 14th, preached at St. Anne's. Can't go back there either. That's three. But, undeterred, in the afternoon the next week, preached at St. John's kicked out again so he'd obviously got back you know but kicked out again but undeterred the very same day uh, probably later in that evening preaching this church was unknown undecipherable uh, deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return so there we go that was two weeks John Wesley's preaching five churches pretty much you wouldn't call it in season would you out of season but he persevered in that, in proclaiming God's word. So there is a great priority in doing it, not just when we think it will be well received. But the preacher is to do it, not with impatience and careless words. Look at that, please. The end of verse 2, but with complete patience. Or some of you might have it, long-suffering. You know, our God is long-suffering, long-suffering with us he is very patient with us and we're so 
thankful for that and glad for that, aren't they? Each and every one of us. And so those who teach God's word should equally be that as well. Long-suffering. Change often takes a long time, doesn't it? And we're all being constantly changed into the image of Christ. And so while there is, yes, absolutely, the the reproof, the rebuke that God's words bring, there is... It's not a short process to be long-suffering with people, and so we should be with each other. I was thinking of Paul's example, how he wrote to the Thessalonians, and he said to them, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of our own children. So we get the picture, don't we? We get the picture of how Paul was in Thessalonica. So the priority. But there's going to be problems. There's not a problem preaching, but what problems will come with preaching? And that's what Paul is informing Timothy, and by implication, all of us here, verses 3 and 4. In this world, in this world, people are not going to be lining the streets, holding a parade for those who faithfully proclaim the whole counsel of God. That's not going to be happening. Paul says and reminds us there will be seasons, periods, when the healthy, sound, life-bringing teaching of God's word will not be endured by people. And you say, well, what people is that then? What people is that? I suggest to you, if we go back to chapter 3, verse 1, or verse 2, pardon me, It says there that people in those last days will be lovers of self, lovers of money. We thought how that was people associated with the church. People associated with the church. Those who professed faith but did not possess faith. And so it's that same type of person who is in view here, I'm suggesting, in verse 3. Because we're not going to be surprised that people in this world in general will not endure sound teaching. I mean, Paul, to write that, would think, well, that's kind of obvious. We get that. No. People who are regularly coming under the sound of God's word, there will be periods where they will not endure. They will not keep themselves under the weight. This is the idea of endure, by the way. You know, you might think you're enduring the sermon tonight, but that's not kind of the sense what Paul is saying here. That's not enduring in that same way, okay? The idea is to keep under the weight of something and to not escape out of it. To endure the teaching of God's word. And you think, well, that sounds a bit, you know, is it not always enjoyable? Well, I, I, I think, yes, we, we should enjoy the preaching of God's word. But we should keep under the instruction of that word. And that word will come. And it will reprove us. It will rebuke us. It will do that. In all of our lives. Because... There's always that unredeemed flesh in us, isn't there? There's always sinful things come in and we get reproved and we get rebuked. If we're never experiencing that, there's a, there's a big problem, I would say, for the individual. But we, don't seek to, we shouldn't seek to escape that. Endure, keep under that. That transforming power of God's word is what we need to endure 
the reproof, the rebuke, and then the exhortation, the correction and the training. Don't seek to escape from that. But Paul says some will. There will be some who will not endure it. You know, we, we see this elsewhere when Paul, uh, 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 whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 22, I appeal to you, brethren, bear the word of exhortation. It's the same word as endure, bear under it. Keep under that word that I am given to. However, he says, some will want to escape from it. And so they'll want some compromise. You know, it means something different nowadays, the word from what it did then. They'll want some dilution of the word of God. They'll want some suppression of the word of God to subtract and take out of it. All these things will be demanded by people. We don't want to endure under the whole counsel of God. I was thinking years ago I heard this story. It might be apocryphal, it's maybe not, but it... It might not be true, but it, you, it illustrates well the point. There was a, a church in England. Well, that's how the story went when I was in England, right? It could have been anywhere, I suppose. And it had over there, we preach Christ crucified. It was a new church. And, and they planted an ivy vine next to it. And the growth of the ivy vine actually reflected the life of the church in the end. Because at the start, the church preached Christ crucified. After years, the ivy grew, grew on the side, and you could no longer see the word crucified. And that reflected the preaching of the church. We must, we preach Christ. Yeah, preached his morals, his life. But didn't preach his crucifixion, his substitutionary death, penal substitution, those types of things that he had as a penalty for our sin. But as time went on, the vine grew. And then it grew and obliterated, covered over rather, the word Christ. And that too reflected the preaching of the church. Now it was just we preach. Now, was the story true? I don't know. But we can see the point, can't we? Gradually and slowly, in any congregation of God's people, or people who come together under the sound of God's word, there can be these things where the whole counsel of God, the hard things first, are softened and taken out. And in the end, it's just we preach. And it's monologues given on things in life unrelated to the Bible. The Bible is not used. Paul anticipates that in the first century, there will not be a shortage of teachers who will offer that type of teaching that the listeners wanted to hear. A li- uh, messages perhaps with no theme of repentance in them. Messages with no theme of sin within them, or judgment. None of those things, perhaps. The listeners would just want an echo chamber of their own thoughts. Give us what we think, not what God thinks. Paul says that itching ears will mean they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. Affirm our lifestyle choices and worldly philosophies. Just tell us what we think ourselves. Don't tell us God's word. And Paul anticipated that in the first century. And of course we see it in the 21st century. 
We see it in the 21st century. How come the Methodist Church in Great Britain voted to redefine marriage, conduct same-sex marriages and affirm cohabitation between people who are unmarried? How did they come to that? Because they abandoned the preaching, the whole preaching of God's word. The people would not endure it, and they accumulated teachers who would give them what they want. And the church in Wales has voted to allow same-sex marriages in its churches. They've abandoned God's word for their own philosophies and views. They wouldn't endure sound teaching. They wouldn't endure the authority, supremacy and clarity of God's word. And so what Paul anticipated in the first century is very much with us in the 21st century. And there's many, many other examples, of course, in that. It's seen to be old-fashioned. There's something from bygone times, people might say. We're more enlightened now. You know, I was, I was in shock. I was listening to this Christian radio station. I mean, it's a Christian radio station. Uh, Christian radio station. But they interviewed someone from the Church of Wales once I'd done this vote. Uh, and I could barely believe what I was hearing. Uh, in fact, I didn't crash the car, but, you know, I could imagine how someone could have done. Because um, a spokesman who, who represents the church comes on and says, you know, well, you know, we, we need to go with the age and accommodate what people want. You know, the, the church must change. Well, I'm not saying the church mustn't change, but the word of God never changes. The word of God never changes. But that's what they want to do. And once you reject the authority, the clarity of God's word and its sufficiency in all matters of life and practice, then you'll just go anywhere where the culture goes. Their itching ears love that. And so, Paul says they'll go into myths and fables. The idea is just anything false and unreal, something contrary to the truth. But let me just go to the perseverance that will then be required. Timothy, there will be problems. Preaching's not going to be popular. The preaching of God's word is not going to give you great rewards in this life. As for you, someone says, but Timothy, I'm enlightening you to the problems that will come. Verse 5, persevere as for you. Timothy and all who come after him, you are to be different. This is not to be your way. This is how you are to be. Four imperatives. One, always be sober-minded. Constantly. At all times, be clear in your thinking. Don't get swayed into fanciful preaching. Keep your mind clear, Timothy. That's the idea of sober-minded. Keep your mind clear in its thinking. And don't go with the new trends, whatever they might be. I don't know if there were new trends in Timothy's day. There probably were, but nowadays there's going to be new sorts of trends latched on in churches all over the place, and there's a, there's a demand, you know, to go with the new trend, whatever the ideas might be. And we could speak for a time on that, but we're not going to do that. Number two, endure hardship or endure suffering. Now, that's the idea of endure again. 
So the people will not endure sound teaching, but Timothy, you are to endure, keep under hardship. Don't compromise, Timothy, in your preaching of God's word to escape hardship. Okay? Don't do that, Timothy. Understand this, that there will be hardship and suffering for those who preach God's word. Some of you might remember the or have read the advice that C.H. Spurgeon gave to his young students who were going to be preaching God's word. And he said this, if you can do anything else than preach God's word, do it. If you can do anything else, do it. If you can stay out of the ministry, stay out of the ministry. Why did Spurgeon say that? Because he was telling them that preaching is hard work and often thankless work. Can you imagine spending eight hours preparing a meal for the people of a church, serving it to them? It's not the best ever meal, you know, but it was nutritious and there was something in there for them. But afterwards, no one said thanks. And some went home and criticised. We'd be astonished, wouldn't we? But that's the case often, often, with those who regularly preach spiritual food. That is often the case. So don't think it's going to be easy, and don't think you're going to get tons of thanks. Endure hardship. Pressure will come, maybe, to soften the message. The reprove and rebuke parts will not be encouraged. You might be, in, you might be under pressure to adapt to the culture. Criticism might come. People might leave, but endure hardship. Think of John Wesley. Well, that's not what Paul said. That's what I'm saying because he didn't know who John Wesley was. Of course, don't seek to escape. Don't preach for popularity. Preach for God's glory with the motivation of the judgment seat of Christ. Thirdly, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Now, we've spent a weekend, haven't we, and a great weekend, thinking about evangelism. Yes, that God has given evangelists to the church. Ephesians 4.11, I think, says that. But we are all called to evangelize, to proclaim the good news, to point to Christ. One of the tasks all of us to do, yes, some of us do it in this more formal way, but all of us, as we go out into this week, are called to evangelize. Picture. You can't see this very well, perhaps. That man's called Dave Derby. A few years ago, he checked in to a hotel in England, a hotel room. And he was going to uh, commit suicide the next day. That was the plan. In the hotel room, there was a Gideon's Bible. He picks it up. His life has changed. He doesn't commit suicide the next day. Through God's word, he comes to faith in Christ. Amazing, huh? Because someone was involved in that ministry and leaving God's word with them. Recently, the thought of September the 11th, haven't we? 
20 years ago in America, some of us can remember where we were on that day, those horrific events. On September the 9th, Bill Fay, an evangelist, was on an American Airlines flight, saw a flight attendant breaking up ice with a wine bottle, and uh, he spoke to her and said that was unsafe and got in conversation with her. That was the entrance. In the end, gives her a gospel tract. Gives her a tract. Short time later, she got another gospel tract, and Bill Fay got the message that she had come to faith in Christ on September the 10th. September the 11th, she was on one of the planes that went into the World Trade Center. But she goes into eternity and sees Jesus Christ. Someone gave her a gospel tract. Amazing, huh? Do what we can do. Do what we can do in the work of evangelism. Let's pray for opportunities that we might spread the gospel in our families, with our work colleagues, at university or college. Say something. We, we, we very rarely get the chance to say everything. But say something, and say something about Jesus Christ. Seek to do that. I had one other great story. I thought it was a great story, but it's now at 7 o'clock. So I'll leave it. Fulfill your ministry. Timothy, do it. Entirely accomplish the work that God has given you to do. In, in that, of course, Timothy is being exhorted to follow the great example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ could say to God, our God, his God in prayer, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. And friends, when we reflect, believers in Christ, that's what we're to do. To glorify God upon this earth and to do the work that he has given us to do. Take heed, Paul says to Archippus in Colossians, to fulfil your ministry, whatever that might be. In Timothy's case, the preaching of God's word. For some of us here, to, to keep proclaiming God's word, to take the message of God's word out into this world. Preaching, in conclusion, must be a priority. It will bring problems, but we must persevere in that. May God just bless his word to us tonight. May it be helpful in some measure to each and every one of us as we go into this week. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And it is life-giving. It transforms. And we just pray tonight, our God, that what has been said is in accordance with your word. We feel the injunction that was given to Timothy to preach the word. Not our own ideas, not our own thoughts. We don't want them. And so, our Father, we just pray that all that is of yourself might remain with us and might have an impact in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.